0: So tonight I want to talk about um, what's called the five spiritual faculties, sort of the complement to the 8,000 defilements. (laughs) (laughs) It's very important that we recognize both. So remember how Steve started his talk last night, and I want to uh, read the rest of that uh, sutta. This translation is a little different. as from Ajahn Amaro and Pasano, but it's the same, same sutta. This mind is radiant, but it doesn't show its radiance because passing defilements come and obscure it. Remember that, right? The unwise ordinary person does not understand this as it is and so for them, there is no development of the mind. Basically thinking that the you know, defilements come, that's it. They're permanent. There's nothing else to do. This mind is radiant. It shows its radiance when it is unobscured by passing defilements. The wise, noble disciple understands this as it is. Therefore, for them, there is development of mind. So I like it because it shows both sides, and that's what we're doing here, developing the mind you know, in, in, in ways that we talk about with just the steady, intelligent awareness, as Steve spoke so clearly last night, how that leads to the wisdom that sees, feels, recognizes, understands the torments of minds, how they work, and allows the wisdom to come in that begins to disentangle us, free us, disidentify from it. But at, not at the exact same time, but together. Also what's happening is that wholesome qualities, they're happening quite a lot of the time too. You know, is it just as important to recognize the wholesome, uplifting qualities of Mind as it is to recognize the torments. I mean, we were saying recognize whatever's there, but you know, I just want to point out sometimes there's wholesome, and <laughs> it's important to recognize them <laughs> with the same non-judging awareness with which one recognizes the torments. And so, in particular, and I'm going to talk about these five faculties. There's lots of ways to talk about them. Just kind of a bit experiential, chatty, and also um, talking about them somewhat in the way that Utejaniya does, his particular slant. There's many slants, so this isn't definitive, but hopefully helpful and supportive for the way that we're practicing here. And so um, these five spiritual faculties, and they're going to be very familiar to you, work together. When they're coming together in a balanced way, you could say, Tejaniya calls that intelligent awareness. Sometimes he calls that the meditating mind. And for us, when we have that experience, even just so short of how the the awareness is getting its own momentum, and there's interest, and it's just whatever's happening isn't so important. But you know, you're just there, interested. It's going along. Well, there's a pretty good chance, I would say for sure, the five. Those five qualities, at least, there's others, too, but these five come together and balance in a balanced way. And that's when the uh, you can see the awareness and the wisdom are really kind of rolling along. So very important to recognize these. so I'll read a bit from the book, just in case you haven't. Um, You know, something somebody mentioned the other day that when you experience, um, it says good mind states, I would say wholesome, because we tend to think of good as feeling good. It doesn't necessarily mean that. But when you're experiencing wholesome mind states, to actively recognize, actively remember them, but remembering is like mindfulness, you know? not to hold on, but, but to recognize them, remind yourself that you're experiencing a wholesome mind state. It's like, just let it be conscious, not kind of sweep it under the rug. That wholesome mind states are possible, this is when you're having a hard time, and that this is what the wholesome mind state feels like. In other words, just like with the Kalashas, the defilements recognize it and because we're hopefully meeting it with steady awareness, we'll also see the causes and conditions that give rise to it and that strengthen it. So if you know why it's, why it's wholesome or how it feels wholesome, try to see that to yourself. That'll help you recognize it and remember, and it'll strengthen faith later when you can't recognize any wholesome mind state and you start to think there never has been one in my life. And you can kind of then try and... Actively remember, oh, yeah, I had that moment of fate three, three and a half weeks ago. <laughs> so these five qualities of mind there are, are sadha, faith, viriya, or energy, sati, mindfulness, of which we've talked a lot already, um, samadhi, often translated as concentration. I want to translate it as collectedness, balance of mind, and panya, wisdom. So you see, each of these is a huge field for discussion. So I'm just going to be able to give little snapshots tonight, but more to, ins- to hopefully trigger in you the interest and the recognition so that you explore it in your own experience. You know, if this is just, as you take it in as the first level of wisdom, secondhand wisdom, and go and remember it, I mean, okay, that might help you know they exist. But it's really to get your mind curious, you know, to, to bring it into awareness. So to start by talking about sadhā or faith, and uh, it came up in one of one of the groups today, and it is a very um, it's a key state of heart of mind for actually doing our practice. So faith. We think of faith, and it's usually inspired by what's called bright faith by seeing or hearing someone else or seeing something about someone else that inspires us or something we read that the beginning of faith, the first inspiration of it, generally comes from some outside thing. You know, a lot of people hear the Dalai Lama talk and get all inspired, for example. Or The classical description or definition of faith in Buddhist countries would be faith in Buddha Dhamma Sangha. You know, you have faith in that, and that gives you energy. But that doesn't necessarily work for us not being, uh, if you haven't been born and brought up in a Buddhist culture, it doesn't mean anything, particularly. And then sometimes we think of faith uh, when we're not thinking as a, as a quality of heart and mind. We tend to keep on thinking, oh, faith means faith in Buddha Dhammasanga, or faith in something. You know, And that's kind of like an intellectual understanding. But it's not in terms of how we can experience it here. It's a a mental factor, an experience of mind, of heart. So I want to just describe some ways it's described in how I experience it. So this sense of what's bright faith, this first inspiration, is a word that's a good translation in English. And if you think of when you felt inspired, it's a funny sound, huh? When you think of when you felt inspired, Sounds like a giant bee or something. I keep thinking it's a giant wasp. I'm getting distracted. <laughs> so when you think of it been you know, there's like a, an energy, isn't it? A kind of a brightness in the in the mind, in the body, uh, and a kind of uplifted quality, isn't it? One of and, and the manifestation of it in our practice, practices. Upandita used to describe as sadha faith. Manifests gives us the willingness to do, you know. It's what gives us, for a moment, for some time, the commitment, the energy to actually, in terms of our practice, say, okay, another moment of awareness, you know. Okay, I will not get in my car and leave. You know, yeah. I will. <laughs> I know most of you have had that thought. Sometimes we think you should check your car keys at the at the door. Um, <laughs> But that's a moment, sometimes it's just a moment of grim determination and heavy, that's not faith. But you know, just that sense of something that inspires us. So you know what I mean? just, ah, willingness to do. And so it may be hearing, thinking about the Buddha and what he discovered. It may be just seeing someone else or talking to a friend or reading in, in a book, anything that, okay, there's something here, something that I want to explore, something that I want to discover. And of course, it's moment to moment. And sometimes it can really give us a lot of commitment, carry us for a while. But in the beginning, it's all, this bright faith is still inspired from outside. I think I said in the group, um, I I have a lot of, uh, I just feel a lot of empathy for people who are on their very first intensive meditation retreat who haven't done a lot of practice. Because the only faith you can have is this bright faith, this inspiration. Because the, the other kind, of verified faith, is when it comes from our own experience. You know, so when, when we've gone through some experience and we really see, oh, it's really true. If there's just awareness of clinging and the clinging goes away, there's peace. That's really true. You know it for yourself. It's verified. And that's a, like a, a deeper, more personally accessible level of faith. But the faith uh, as uh, even coming from the outside, it gives us confidence. It gives us energy. And I remember, and it's it's not just of course in practice. I remember hearing on the radio when Obama was first elected president, back when, right after that the day after, and they're interviewing um, a, a young African-American woman in Brooklyn or somewhere. And, I don't know. I still get chills. I can't remember exactly what she said, but she was so inspired to uh, think that she could do something different and something more with her life than she had ever thought that was was possible for her. You know, and you could hear, I could hear in her voice that energy, that inspiration, that commitment, and we catch it from each other. That's exactly how inspiration works. That's one of the beauties of sangha. You know, even here, you're. You know, you're hitting a place where you're slumping through the day, and you think, I what I can't find one reason to be here, I can't remember it. And then somebody just walks by, and something about the way they walk or the way they're practicing strikes you, and you go, Okay, if they can do it, I can do it. Hopefully in a wholesome, faithful way, (laughs) 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 not that jerk can do no, but you know. And then, you know, we take turns inspiring one another. And so just beginning to recognize that feeling when it comes in the mind. Because it like, gives us the energy, the confidence, the willingness to do. Now, this faith, it's not greed. Greed thinks about results. And you could also say, oh, I'll have the energy to do in the commitment, because if I do this, I'm going to get that. That's not faith. That's greed. You know? Faith may be the sense of, yes, it is possible to free the mind from Kalasha. From defilement, as Steve was saying last night. But then the faith gives us not feeding the greed to when am I gonna get it? But it gives us the confidence to open into the moment with awareness. It gives us the confidence to drop into the moment, into the unknown, to just do the practice. That's how you know you can feel the upliftingness, the wholesomeness of it, where if it's like greed, yes, by God, I want to rid my mind of Kalesa, and by tomorrow, you know, and how, you know, and if you tune into that, you can feel, it doesn't feel uplifting. It may feel like it's giving energy, but, you know, you can feel the difference in your mind, and if if you don't know what I'm talking about, explore and see, that's what I'm trying to hopefully inspire to look and see, because when it's wholesome, It's not feeding kalatia, it's not feeding defilement, and it's not fueled by defilement. So faith is essential. Without it, we we just don't have the energy, the willingness to do. You know, considering, well, that sounds like a nice idea. What's on TV? You know? (laughs) Oh, that's the bell in the morning. Okay, yeah, don't let those guys get up. I'm rolling over. You know, it doesn't matter. One of the big, uh, all of the five faculties work together in balance, and faith needs to come with a balance of wisdom—not just intellectual, but clear seeing. Because otherwise, faith can be kind of blind. You know, where you're so inspired by someone, yes, if if they can swim the English Channel, so can I. You know, and without any training, you jump in and start to swim. Okay, blind faith unless you know, you know you're know you a world-class swimmer and you can do it. But faith needs to be balanced with the wisdom, the clear seeing of what's actually so. Faith, this, this collecting our energy, this uplifting quality, this willingness to do, is also for, for many of us uh, in this culture so important because it, it, it can help to counteract to help move through our patterns of self-doubt, which I self-doubt, self-judgment, which I know one or two people here have experienced <laughs> once, or, once or twice during the course of the retreat. And uh, it's so strong. In, in, the, in, in this culture, I, was, I don't know, like Western culture or the rational scientific or what, but certainly... We know when in, in meeting with people in meditation retreats, and, and I do here all over this country and in Europe. It's just one of seems to be one of our stronger conditionings. Not everybody, but many people. And um, our personalities, our belief that I'm the one doing it, I'm the one making this happen, is so strong. So we take it all so personally that if it's pleasant, it goes the way we want. That's a personal success. If it isn't going the way we want, it's unpleasant. It's a personal failure. And none of that is inspiring faith. That gets us really caught up in success and failure in self-doubt. Ajan Semedo, who I quoted last night, he's he's an American man, but he He spent many years as a monk with Ajahn Chah, who was a great Thai uh, forest meditation master, and lived in Thailand, learned Thai, taught in Thailand, and then Ajahn Chah sent him to England to bring that monastic order to the West. And so once um, some some of us were meeting with Ajahn Semedo and just talking, he was just talking about teaching and stuff, and he said, for him, he was kind of... um, comparing or someone asked him, "What do you notice any difference between uh, meditation or patterns when you're working with people in Thailand, or Thai people, or when you're working with Westerners? So this is broad, but I, I found this quite interesting, what he said. He said he, his opinion at that time was that one of the biggest hindrances he's seen for Westerners in our practice of meditation is self-doubt in terms of uh, self-doubt in our own insights, self-doubts in our own experience of awareness, in our own little moments of freedom, of liberation, even if from momentary freedom from patterns that we suffer from. And he says he thinks it's because we give so much belief to our personalities, so much weight to our personalities, we get caught back into them immediately. I would put that in terms of it's what I said before. We think we're doing everything. It's all up to us. It goes well, but even when it's going really well, where it's like, say, here, and so the times that there's a momentum of mindfulness and it's going along and there's no sense of personal effort and you're having fun and it's flowing, it's really common. And even a dear friend of mine who's been a meditation teacher for years, it's really common. He said, Well, something this can't be right because it's just going along and I'm not doing it I'm not so somehow it's too easy something's wrong you know because we think it's all about me we get caught back into the personality pattern and when it isn't going well well of course it's so clear that that's our fault because we're jerks and hopeless But he said he's really talking about in times of just touching awareness, or if you start to recognize these wholesome qualities I'm talking about, you think, well, okay, it's here now, but that's a fluke. It just came in, you know, by chance, and, you know, it'll go because there's nothing to do with me. In a way, it's not. It's just nature. Just as the defilements have their nature, the causes and effects and how they behave, doing their job, so too do the wholesome qualities. So too does faith. But it's very interesting. This way, we don't trust ourselves because we think it's all about me, and it's cheating. This stuff just happens by itself. Just to give you a, an alternative possibility, just one little example. I was some years ago in uh, teaching in in Burma, beside uh, Lakata, who's a Mahasi style uh, Burmese teacher, and so just the way he was teaching that he had been saying in a talk. This is noting practice of whatever arises, the mind notes it. You go to it and note it. And so he was saying, note it three times. If you note it three times, it'll go away, which, you know, forget about it. That's not what happens. So he was saying that. <laughs> and then the way those retreats work, when he would leave and then I, me and the other Western teacher, we would take questions. There's a retreat for Westerners. And my friend Ulamang was... Translating for the Sayadaw, who talked in Burmese, so somebody said, you know, hey, I noted, I'm noting it three times. I'm here. I'm mindful. It's not going away. You know, what am I doing wrong? And oh, upset. You know, it's like a whole crisis. And we're saying, which we do, right? What am I doing? And, and um, so we just talked about that. So later, I was talking to the translator. And he goes, oh, that was so interesting, because when it's the same for us, when we note it three times, it doesn't go away. <laughs> <laughs> and I always wondered, you know. I said, oh, and then what do you do when it doesn't go away? He goes, we go, oh, well, never mind. <laughs> it's an alternative possibility. <laughs> and you just say, huh, what, oh, well, never mind? <laughs> no, you've got to figure out how you're failing. <laughs> so this sense of, of faith of not taking it so personally, again, the problem many yogis have is that you're so used to making things happen in our life. In daily life, they're used to setting themselves goals, to applying a lot of effort, and to achieving what they want, right? Then they do the same in meditation. They want to be good, very good, the best, when they, you, we, are not as good as they want to be, they quickly become disappointed. That's why they lose faith and why they lose interest in practice. See, And so that's a faith that's based on getting results. Isn't really the uplifting faith? It it slides into wanting. And then we do get discouraged and into self-doubt. So looking again. And seeing sometimes then we can act, actively turn to and we don't find the inner resources that bring up the faith or the memory or verified faith. Then again, we do, we do use outside resources to re-tap into that inspiration, each of us finding what works for us. Nothing wrong with that. Really helpful. But you see, tuning into that sense of uplifting, of commitment, of willingness to do in our mind, that is sata. And learning to recognize and trust that, and at the same time not taking it personally, just as we don't take the defilements personally, cause and effect. One sutta where uh, it's called the Inquirer, where uh, someone is, the Buddha is telling someone what things to look for in a in a teacher to see if they're, you know, completely awakened like the Buddha. And at one point, the Buddha says, "Yes." Purified states are found. Purified states of mind are found in the Tathagata, meaning himself. There's purified states in my mind. They are my pathway, my domain, where I live. But I do not identify with them. There is no craving for them. Just their recognition. This is here how it arises, what its effects are. And so... It seems obvious. It's true in, the, in this order that the arising of faith, the willingness to do, then strengthens the next factor, which is virya, or energy. And so, in this way, especially in the way Tejani is talking about it, it's a mental factor. So we're talking about mental energy. So not necessarily, you know, the bodily energy to run a marathon or something. It's uh, that comes from mental energy, of course. But so here we're talking about mental energy. And I'm specifically using energy rather than effort. Because it's sometimes translated, you know, wise effort. But for many of us, effort comes together, again, with a sense of need doing to achieve and a kind of leaning forward for a result that's fed by some kind of striving. So that would be unwise effort. But here, Virya as energy mental energy in the mind now just by itself it depends on the context it's not necessarily wholesome or one of the five spiritual faculties right there can be enormous energy in the mind directing us to do amazing things that aren't necessarily coming together with right view right understanding and mindfulness so back to my tennis example If you watch these guys, it's amazing the amount of moment-to-moment clarity and viria they have to bring up, you know, with each point. I I love watching just to see the level that these qualities can be cultivated to. But is the motivation, is the surrounding mental factors with it necessarily all wholesome ones? I have my doubts. I mean, there's got to be a strong element of wanting, of craving, right? And self-identification. I'm not saying that's like a horrible thing, but it isn't It isn't wholesome. It's not purity of mind. Certainly you can see as they get frustrated in a match, and you, you know, you can, you can see, okay, there's a little bit of aversion being fed to. So enormous furia, you know? And it's not like it's a bad thing in the world to play tennis, you know, but it isn't the wholesome state of furia as... A spiritual faculty. So that's how we're talking in here. So we call that ethically variable virya. You know, it takes on the wholesomeness or unwholesome qualities depending on what other qualities, what other mental factors are arising together with it. So if we want to call it here as it's a spiritual faculty, then it comes together with wisdom, with right view, with mindfulness, obviously. So as an as a internal experience and in the way you explore it for yourself, because we're all different and you know we have different access to virya. But the way we're talking about here as mental energy is, again, it's, it's not that pushing, but well, Tasia Nia likes to talk about it as a sense of persistence, of patience. Not resignation, not negativity, but that never give up. He has that you know big sign on the door of uh, into his kuti, never give up. And all that means is here when you come and say, Oh, and I was aware of this and this and that, but then ugh, you know, it's just as aversion. And we say, Oh, awareness of aversion. Next thing. That's you just never give up. And now this. And now this. It doesn't have to be oh I never give up, by God, but just <laughs> showing up, showing up, showing up. So it's a, a balanced Kind of effort. If it's like this, like this, you can't keep going with it. You get exhausted. But it um, so it's this patience, this persistence with a quality of interest, not pushing for a result. But it also has you can feel this. It has a. It's described as not shrinking back from the difficult. And so you can just notice when some little difficult. Experience comes up in your mind here. If there's awareness, you're not trying to do it right, but the awareness is just going. There's just something that happened today. I can't remember what, but I was doing something, and some little negative state came up. And I guess I was thinking about this because I've been think- doing this, and I could just see how the awareness, the energy in the mind, that that unpleasant state came, and it's kind of like uh, just wants to just go. Oh no, I don't want to go there. You know, that's already more than it feels like, but it's like. Uh, uh. That's just the how. And fear is just like, no, not shrinking back. Just staying here, just meeting what's happening. It's a kind of courage. Moment after moment after moment with the difficult, with the unwholesome, just not shrinking back. And with the wholesome, it's a way of supporting the wholesome. So then, say you're recognizing. You're feeling sadha, faith, in your experience. is kind of uplifting. And then the virya comes in to recognize it, to meet it, to be there with it, too. And it supports the wholesome. But really here, it's just simply showing up as the will, in the way we're practicing here, as that patient willingness never to give up, to just, oh, am I aware now? Am I aware now? Notice that quality of not shrinking back. Sometimes fury is just not there, you know? But as we get more familiar with these wholesome qualities, sometimes you can like start to actually look and recognize that it could be there, but you're just not noticing it. The the make more, more noise, you know. The defilements, they, they kick up a ruckus, and so they call our attention for a wholesome, for in a wholesome way or an unwholesome way. Sometimes we can notice there's very very is not something that I have, you know, just overwhelming very. I have to work with noticing it, but it's it's there. We all have it. We couldn't even stand up, but um, say getting out of bed in the morning, just take something simple, not when there's a huge thing, but just lying there, like eh, you know, I don't know. I'm aware of uh, and I can be just as aware like this. And if I fall asleep, so what? Because whatever happens doesn't matter. And, you know, when I wake up, I'll be aware again, <laughs> which on one level is true, you know. But then there's another part where you can just be aware of the whole thing. You can, you can see the kind of unwholesome, you know, craving coming in. And the awareness notices that. And I do this myself a lot. And suddenly I'll just, I'll just remember, like you said, saying, just remember the whole, I'll just remember Virya. And it's kind of, oh yeah, just that meeting what's happening. It meets that unwholesome, uh, just get up. No big deal. you know. So we can actually, being familiar, we can actually turn to the wholesome more often than we might think. This is development of mind. This is strengthening the wholesome. But it's done with wisdom, not with wanting, not with aversion. And so again, um, For it to be wise virya, wise effort, it comes together. It's not fed by kalesa. So you could do amazing things. You can look like you're practicing really well, sit through a sitting without moving, absolutely committed. But the motivation could be complete aversion. You know what I mean? And it, you, you think I'm doing good practice, but look and see. If the motivation's aversion, it's not wise effort. It's unwise effort because what's being strengthened is aversion. So you can check when you when you feel that you're using a lot of energy, physically or mentally, you know, sometimes we feel like, okay, there's viria, but it feels like we're pushing, you know, really pushing, getting fatigued just from sitting. Then just just check. Just check in the background, the quality in the mind. It's the same thing we've been saying all along. But just look and see if in this In this effort that we're putting out, it feels like, well, I'm really working hard here. This is what I should be doing. It's back to the the faith, the not trusting, you know, unless we're working so hard we're about to fall on our face from exhaustion, we're not really practicing. So look and see when it starts to feel like that. Are you wanting, expecting, or trying to make a particular thing happen? Or do you have the expectation in the back of your mind that this certain thing has to happen for it to be okay? just looking and seeing, then for sure that effort's being fed by greed, by wanting. Or is the effort in some subtle way to try to make something stop happening? Back to the thing, if you note it three times, it goes away. So we say, OK, let me note it, note it, note it, go away. And we all, I shouldn't say we all, but almost everyone I've talked to over time at some point, I just mean here, at some point, They'll have the puzzle thing of I'm I know I'm really aware of this thing, I'm describing it really clearly. And but and then they'll kind of stop and look puzzled and just say, but what? You mean we know but what? But it's still here. You know? And implicit in that. If we were aware rightly it would go away. Aversion, right? So wise, wise effort. Just that not shrinking back. From the difficult, but not pounding it with a stick either. Just here we are, or using a lot of effort or trying, and not you don't you don't even know what you're trying to get or you're trying to stop. But there's just a feeling of dissatisfaction or confusion, or you don't know what to do. So you're trying this and you're trying that, and you're and that's that's delusion, that's moha. So then just settle back and remember the only only energy is just. Am I aware right now? That's all. And that's, you see, we back to faith, needing some faith to trust enough to do that. Another little thing from Utejaniya talking about the motivation of wise effort. He's saying, effort that comes with a defilement, of course, is wrong effort. Most yogis make an effort with some kind of desire. So we use effort comes together with defilement. So you just need to be very clear whether you're making an effort with this lopa, with greed, or there's this other word chanda, which is kind of sometimes translated wholesome desire. I find that confusing. It's more like a kind of a a, a zeal, an interest, a willingness. It's, It's not a greed for a result. So he says, when you make an effort with greed, with lopa, you become tense and you'll suffer. When you're successful, you'll feel very happy. And when you're not, You may become upset or even depressed. That's one of the ways, that's one of the results we can see that's a clue, it's unwise effort. But when when the effort is coming with just this, with faith, with willingness to do, with chanta, wise desire, desire for spiritual growth, you don't suffer. The mind will become stronger, more powerful, more balanced. When you, quote, succeed, you will not feel elated. And when you, quote, don't succeed, you don't feel upset. This is the result of right effort. You never give up, but again and again and again, just meeting the moment. We're not elated. We're not depressed. Because it's just what's happening now. What's happening now? Just the effort to meet the moment, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. There's nothing to be elated or depressed about. So that's another sign that there's a more balanced effort. It's courage not shrinking back. You can see I'm going to have to start cutting. Okay, mindfulness, sati, I don't think I need to say a lot about, since that's what we've been talking about since the beginning of the retreat. So just very that simple awareness, not forgetting. Tejani likes to talk about it, just not forgetting. Don't forget to watch yourself. Don't forget awareness, just in that very simple, light, relaxed way. Now mindfulness, and I think hopefully you're starting to to get this, doesn't have to come together with a heavy directed focus. Are you starting to at all believe that yet? But I know for many people, including me who have done other practices, that for many years, mindfulness was always coming together with a kind of very focused quality of mind. And because they often came together It was easy to confuse them, to think that mindfulness meant that heavy focus, that that was part of mindfulness, that you have to have that. And what we're hoping you're starting to see here is not. Not. That's a different quality of mind. So mindfulness is just this simple moment-to-moment awareness, you know, just not forgetting. Am I aware? What's happening now? So not that we have to put it in and hold on, but as soon as you remember... Here it is again, right? That accessible. The viria keeps us doing it. Okay, so I'll move on to the steadiness of awareness, as we've said 10 million times already in four days, leads to this, the momentum. It starts to get its own momentum leads to continuity. I mean, we're, we're committing to continuity, but all we can do is that whenever we recognize we're not aware, we, oh, we're back in awareness. Continuity doesn't mean we try to hold on to every moment and that we can somehow make it be steady. That's out of our control. That's wrong effort. But that persistence, that each moment of waking up in mindfulness, we're willing to do it. The faith gives us the willingness to do it. The virya gives us the ability not to shrink back. The mindful, OK. The steadiness of mindfulness leads to the mindfulness getting its own momentum, which leads to samadhi, cultivates samadhi, which is the fourth. And this um, I want to say a bit about, especially in terms of how we're practicing vipassana here. Samadhi is often translated into English as concentration. And it's one of the... um, at least in my experience of working with a lot of people on retreat it's one of the qualities of mind and again it's ethically neutral just as um virya is you know that you could really have a very collected mind in service of sneaking into a house and stealing something without getting caught right so so samadhi we often think of it as this one pointed really focused, intensive, con- intensive concentration focus leading to absorption to jhana, which is one manifestation of samadhi. But often, it it's comes to be that that's what people call concentration, and that's what they think of as what the factor of concentration in our experience should feel like. And because it's the one that, when it is really heavy, deeply focused like that, you have sometimes experiences, and we like experiences because then our self-doubt kind of goes away, and we think, I'm doing something, and I'm getting somewhere, and so it feels good, and so we want more concentration, and we get really hooked, in. when you can't get that kind of concentration, that kind of one-point absorption, you think, I can't do it, and everyone else can, and it's a, it's a huge amount of suffering. I mean, I've worked with a lot of people suffering so much. Not from not being able to do it, but from the idea that that's the only thing that means really good practice, and that that's what wisdom comes from, and that's what it's all about. So I would like to say, no, it's not what it's all about. It's one of the factors. And here, samadhi is more, Steve Smith likes to describe it as perfectly put together. The mind is perfectly put together. Samadhi is really a mind that's balanced. A mind that's steady, that's stable. It doesn't have to be. It's a unification of mind. Unification doesn't have to be all focused and absorbed on one object or object oriented, but it's unified in the sense that all the scattered mental energy all over the place is all kind of collected, and right here, you know. So the experience that we can of uh, vipassana samadhi is this. Uh, the steadiness of mind is it peaceful, but it's also relaxed. It's light. It's cool. It's flexible. Yes, it's pleasant. But this kind of uh, samadhi is not just about one-pointed, object-oriented focusing. So I'm going to call that samata, kind of tranquility practice, which is a very valid and useful practice. But here. The samadhi that develops through the steadiness of awareness on whatever's happening. This samadhi, vipassana samadhi you could call it. Now this is Tejani again says, vipassana samadhi does not depend on an object for its stability. In shamatha samadhi, whether it's the breath or a light or whatever, it's just the, the mind just comes, you focus, you focus, you focus, you focus. And as the mind does get very unified and strong and collected, it's peaceful in a way because, as Steve said with, uh, last night when he was describing the three levels of kalesha, the second level of obsessive kalesha is kind of kept away by the collected mind. You know, when you're really focused on something, greed isn't coming up. Aversion isn't coming up. Doubt isn't coming up. And it's, it is lovely. It's definitely lovely. But it doesn't have to just be one pointed focus. So from the way Ajahn, the way Sayadaw Tejaniya talks about it, so I'm talking, going to talk about it that way since that's how we're practicing. He really doesn't stress focus. In fact, he tries to kind of bust people out of being really attached to focus. Because he says that kind of samadhi, very focused and one pointed, is also kind of heavy. It's um, brittle, it's fragile. You know, it really depends on having all the circumstances so you're not pulled out and that you can really focus. And as it gets heavy, there's no wisdom is gonna arise because you're not seeing anything else except just that one object the mind is absorbed into it and so wisdom isn't arising there so vipassana samadhi does not depend on an object for its stability the stability in the mind the collectedness in the mind comes from right understanding from right view which together with the continuity of awareness gives the mind stability so how do we experience that? How can you recognize that in your practice? And a lot of times we don't even think of it as samadhi because we have this other idea so strongly ingrained sometimes, you know, as he said, you know, we're looking for some kind of he says somewhere else, we're waiting for some kind of state almost like a trance, you know? And that's what we want from samadhi. And this kind here that we're talking about where the mind is it's quite flexible it's open, it's relaxed, it's awake and alert. But it's that sense of whatever's arising is not a distraction, you know. So it's not like a samadhi that, oh my God, that sounds gonna wreck my samadhi, right? These people walking too fast, it's wrecking my samadhi. Oh, if I have to make that phone call, it's gonna ruin my samadhi. This is this balance of mind that comes from right view, that oh, it's just awareness of this, without the mind constantly getting caught into liking and disliking of objects. That's where we get all upset and distressed. When the mind is just, awareness is meeting what's happening moment after moment without liking, without disliking. Just this freshness, this flexibility, this equanimity comes in. The mind isn't fragile or brittle. So whatever's arising isn't a distraction. And learn how to recognize that, because it feels different from that really heavy focus. And it's, it's, it takes longer to develop. It can do on a retreat like this. And it's one of the things that people who've done a lot of practice and haven't done this style find that they really distrust in this style, because it's like you got no proof you know, that anything's happening, until you start to notice the cause and effect with awareness. I remember one time I was when I was sitting with Tejaniya in Burma, maybe one of the first times. You know, and there's, there, Steve's probably said there's talking there; it's not in complete silence. And I was doing my walking meditation, which I like, somewhere, and someone came up and started talking to me. And you know, okay, the usual. I mean, I'd sort of gotten used to it. In the beginning, it's like they come up and you immediately. immediately, no, you're wrecking my practice. And people don't even walk back and forth. They just come walking across and, and all of this, and how can anyone develop any you know, steadiness? But by this time, I was more balanced with it. So I was just walking and aware. I was pretty aware just whatever was happening. And there was a sense. I wasn't calling it samadhi, but there was just this sense of presence, of flexibility, of balance of mind, of steadiness of mind. And this person came up and talked. I stopped. That was just the next thing happening. I wasn't thinking this. We just had the little conversation, went back to walking. And I noticed that, in fact, the awareness was even stronger than it had been before the conversation, that the mind was steadier, even more collected, So that awareness had been going through the talking. And there was it wasn't, not only was it not a distraction, it was as much a seed of strengthening awareness and samadhi as anything else. And then that's a little moment of verified faith. You see, oh, it's a different kind of samadhi. And so exploring moments like that. And then, of course, as with most pleasant things, the habit of mind comes in, oh, how can I catch it? Well, that's where the virya comes, just bringing awareness to that. Oh, that's wanting. You can feel it, and then wanting becomes the next object of awareness, and it doesn't have to be such a distraction if the steadiness of awareness keeps going, which is another way that samadhi manifests. The awareness, the steadiness, it becomes have more and more of its own momentum. As someone said in a group today or yesterday, they, they started to be aware of all kinds of little stuff they didn't even know was there that they weren't looking for, that awareness was just doing its own job. It just starts to get more stronger and subtle and all kinds of things. Oh, that's happening. That's, oh, I didn't know that. And it's really this sense of I'm not doing it or looking for. The awareness is just getting steadier and stronger and getting its own momentum. And that's also a way you can experience samadhi in the mind. So the ingredients for samadhi are, of course, right attitude, not fueled by greed, by aversion, and all about me getting, you know, the same things. Mindfulness, the steadiness of mindfulness, and the continuity of mindfulness, just as I said. So it's not a forcing kind of energy. And I would just encourage you with this to feel free to experiment to see not like, not like I'm testing to see if this is really true or not, because that's a little bit of aversion a in the mind. But not be so afraid that you're going to wreck your samadhi, you know, that you're walking around on tenterhooks. I think I mentioned before, I think it was this retreat, that I spent one retreat in, in a different style of practice with a strong kind of focused moment to moment samadhi that were landing on one object and really present with it, landing the attention on the next object, kind of noting, called momentary samadhi. But it had that element of very strong focusing. It was helpful. I'm not saying it wasn't helpful. But I didn't recognize until I was finished with that retreat that I had spent like a month, you know, very strongly, steady, clear awareness, moment to moment, strong samadhi like that, focusing. But there had been this attitude in the mind of kind of, it's like I was walking around like this, with my mind like this, trying to hold on to the samadhi. You know, I worked so hard for this. And, you know, this is a sign the practice is working. I don't want it to go away, you know. And, and identification with it and enjoying it. And was it mean about me? Finally, I never thought I could have samadhi, but here it is. <laughs> and when I look back, I said, how could I not see that? My God, you know. It was, like, so stressful and tight. So here, you know, we say, it doesn't matter, just look and go, oh, wanting in the mind. You know? So just playing with it and see. Oh, no, I better not look because that might rest my myself. Oh, look at that. Attachment feels like this, you know? Just be free to play with it and see. It'll go away, because you know what? Everything does. (laughs) And it'll come back again. So it's like we're not holding on, but we're really learning through wise attention what are the causes, what are the conditions that strengthen samadhi. And that's this wise attention, right? understanding, not taking it personally, knowing it's all just nature, seeing cause and effect, and continuity of awareness. Wishing it were so isn't one of them. Thinking if I want samadhi hard enough, maybe it'll come. Isn't really one of the causes and conditions that brings it about, and so you know, we're just free to keep looking and seeing, looking and seeing, not trying to hold on to a state, not taking it personally. That's how the wisdom factor starts to manifest, and so that's the fifth. This is really rattling. That's the fifth one, wisdom. And wisdom, as I think we've said a couple of times, or certainly said in the groups, one way you can talk about wisdom is on the three levels, right? The first level, and this is in the suttas. Untejanya talks about it a lot, but it's, it's actually in the suttas. Um, where the first level of wisdom is what we've been talking about is secondhand wisdom, or as Steve said, with right view, the voice of another, some information. So even that level of of wisdom is a form of panya and is helpful in terms of the five spiritual faculties working together. You know, a certain kind of um, practicality, a sense of the wisdom of, of knowing how to practice, knowing what to do. That's a kind of panya and that's useful. It's not transformative wisdom, but as Tejaniya talks about how the five spiritual faculties working together are what really make intelligent awareness. He says, I'm not talking about deep transformative wisdom. I'm really talking about this practical, practical uh, Panya, practical wisdom of just knowing how to practice, knowing what it feels like when there's awareness and when there's not, being able to look into the mind and tell, get a feeling for how much effort is being put out or not, just very practical stuff. So that's the first level of wisdom, is information. And the second level, so this is kind of combining this, what I just said is combining the first and second, is this you know thinking about stuff, thinking it over, cogitating, looking in our experience, and going, yeah, that really does make sense. I can really see. And this has also been coming up in groups. That's often the level where we say, you know, I really know. For example, I really know impermanence. I know it's true. So how come I keep getting caught, you know, in clinging and disappointment? You know, I said something that Sayadaw says a lot, not as a judgment. He says a lot. He goes, oh, well, there's, there's a lot of awareness. You're seeing this whole process of something arising and the clinging to it, and then it goes away, and the disappointment, and then you say, I know it, but how come this is all happening? He'll say there's a lot of awareness, but there's not enough wisdom because the really deep transformative wisdom is the third level of wisdom, insight wisdom, that is, a, is an effect. It's not something that we can input or wish to happen. It's not in our control, which I find hugely relieving. So the steadiness of awareness, the balance of mind, the faith, the energy, all of that together that allows the steadiness of practice in itself. Wisdom then does the work of freeing the mind and heart from kalesis. Not our wanting, not our pushing, not our trying. And we can't make the wisdom. We can just have the faith and the energy for the steadiness of samadhi, the steadiness of mindfulness that leads to the balance, the collectedness of mind that allows wisdom to arise. And then wisdom does the work. So just... One last thing is that all of these five qualities need to work together in balance. And they do balance themselves. You can feel when it's like that. But mm, let me read Tejaniya's again, since I wanted to just do it more his way. He says, yes, definitely, the five spiritual faculties work together. If any one of them becomes too strong, if it does too much of the work, it kind of blots out the other four. The others cannot be effective anymore. They can no longer do their work properly. But then he qualifies this. If somebody has too much samadhi, the wisdom is not strong and cannot grow. Like if there's that just ooh, that zooming in focus, there's not space for the wisdom to arise and grow. The virya, the energy, cannot be strong because of the heavy concentration and sati mindfulness is not sharp. And if those three are not working well, then sadha will suffer. You start losing confidence in the practice. If the wisdom faculty is too strong, and here later he clarifies, by the way, he doesn't mean insight wisdom. He said that can never be too strong. But the wisdom faculty of rational understanding, seeing clearly, being practical, investigating is an aspect of wisdom. Interest is an aspect of wisdom. If that gets too strong, if there's too much like interest, intellect, questioning, investigation in that way, too much thinking, then there's no samadhi. The mind has no stability. And I'm saying now, this is me. This is where faith needs to balance that kind of wisdom. So sometimes this wisdom and thinking and analyzing and questioning, it, it manifests as wisdom, but we end up in big doubt. And that's where we need the inspiration of faith to just do, to just, okay. awareness is like this, what's happening now. So the mind has no stability. And again, this leads to the deterioration of the remaining faculties. And faith suffers, of course, again. So the five faculties need to work together in balance. And they do. Sometimes you can, you can recognize they're out of balance, you know, like the strong getting really focused in and you don't know what else is going on. And you don't like hate samadhi, but you can say, oh, let me just get a little interested. What else can the awareness notice right here? You just bring in a little bit of interest. Or like too much questioning, see if you can get that inspiration, the trust to just do again. A lot, a lot of effort a lot of effort and the mind's jumping all over the place, you might want to let the attention get a little more quiet, a little more settled for a minute. So we can play with these qualities. But the most important is the recognition, really seeing through the steadiness of attention, the wholesome qualities, how they manifest, how they support our practice, and how they lead to the development of wisdom, freeing our heart and mind. So let's just sit quietly for a moment.